A few years ago, there was a boy who lived in the country. He went to school in town, though, and he got a little jealous because all his friends had this thing called indoor plumbing. He had an outhouse. And he had to use the outhouse, and he absolutely hated the outhouse. It was hot in the summer, it was cold in the winter, and it was always snowing. Well, the outhouse happened to be near a creek. And uh, he decided that one of these days, when it was ripe, he was going to push the outhouse just a little bit and let it fall into the creek. Well, a good rainy season came. And it rained and it rained and it rained and it made the, made the soil damp, made the soil a little bit easy to move things. The creek swelled up and it was high. And the little boy just kind of snuck out there one day and he pushed the outhouse into the creek. Well, he went home happy as a lark because the outhouse was gone. He wouldn't have to use it anymore. Dad would be forced to get into our plumbing and everything would be good. Dad came in that night as he was sitting there at the kitchen table and Dad said, come on, we're going to the woodshed. Some of you young folks might not know what going to the woodshed meant. <laughs> Going to the woodshed, and he was going to go get his behind wore out. So he was going to the woodshed. And the boy got up, knowing that something was coming. And on the way, he said, Dad, but I don't understand. Why, why, am, I, why am I going to get this? What's this punishment for? I don't understand. His dad said to him, Well, son, somebody pushed the outhouse in the creek. And I think it was you. The boy thought about it for a minute. He said, you know, uh, I can try to lie and get out of it. But he said, you know, that's not the way to go. He admitted it. He said, yeah, Dad, you're right. It was me. So I'm going to go the way of George Washington, the cherry tree. I cannot tell a lie. Dad, I pushed the outhouse into the creek because I was just tired of it. He said, well, son, I appreciate you being honest, but you still have to take your consequences. He said, but Dad... When George Washington told the truth, he didn't get a punishment. He was committed for telling the truth, and his dad said, yeah, but George Washington's father wasn't in the cherry tree when he chopped it down. <laughs> Most of us have never toppled an outhouse. But we can identify with the boy in at least three ways. What well, we had the urge within us to do wrong. We have a sin nature. Things that tempt us, things we want to do. Two, our lack of goodness will affect others around us. And three, there are consequences to our choices. In the past two weeks, we have watched as these commonalities play out in the life of a believer who's running from God. We're in the midst of our series on Jonah, a whale of a tail. We've seen so far Jonah running from God. We've seen Jonah praying to God in the belly of the whale. And this week... Our story picks up there in chapter 3 with the city of Nineveh coming face to face with the consequences of their actions. And so it picks up there in verse 1 and says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up! Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. So Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely large city. A three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In forty days, Nineveh will be demolished. 
The men of Nineveh believed in God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no man or beast, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from the violence he is doing. Who knows? God may relent and turn. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. Then God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened to do to them. And he did not do it. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel for the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his sake. And all God's people say. Again, this chapter starts with a verse of hope. There are very few words, but lots of meaning. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God is the God of second chances. He's the God of second chances. He doesn't give up on you when you fail. He doesn't say, oh, I'm done. I gave you your chance and you're just, you're out of luck. God is the God of second chances. He, he does not give up on us. We would do well not to give up on ourselves so easily. God is always there full of grace. He's always there speaking into our situation. He's always there willing to show us that He loves us. It's never too late until this life is over. We could probably preach an entire sermon because that's who God is when I fail he picks me up when I can't make it he, he carries me when I've said no he gives me another chance that's who God is that's what God does aren't you glad Aren't you glad that, that, that when you've messed up that one time, He doesn't look at you and go, well, you failed. You're done. Now we've, when you play in our, our youth sports leagues, that's one of the things that we try to instill upon our kids, right? That just because you miss it once doesn't mean you give up. It doesn't make you a failure. You get up and you dust yourself off and you try again. You go again. You do it again. And God, even though, even when we run from Him, even when we, we, we turn our nose at Him, even when we have said absolutely not or we just completely ignore Him, God continually pursues us and gives us another chance. Try it one more time. The Word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I have this job for you to do. God is a God of second chances. But overall, this chapter here is about one thing, repentance. What does repentance look like? I'm afraid in our culture, we have lost the meaning of the word repentance. We have boiled repentance down to saying, I'm sorry. You know, how many of us trained our kids that way? Say, you're sorry. And they go, sorry, and they walk away. They weren't sorry. They were made to say something. 
Repentance has to look different. So what does repentance look like? What does true repentance look like? And as we read this chapter, we see some things that exemplify true repentance. And the first is that true repentance requires that we believe what God promises are true. All His promises are true. Here's the key to this. We have to understand that not all of God's promises are good. We have no problem believing the promises that are good are true. He wants to give me eternal life. He wants me to have abundant life. He wants to bless me. God loves me. Those are all promises that I can claim in Scripture. But God also promises other things. He promises consequences for disobedience. He promises that if you don't accept Jesus, that you're going to go to hell. He promises things in His Word that aren't always good. And for Nineveh here, this promise was not a good promise. When, when Jonah came through, he walked through that city. I can't imagine being Jonah. Three days walk through that city. Like walking through DFW. Forty days and Nineveh will be destroyed. I don't know. He might not have been that loud. He might have been like, 40 days and Nineveh's going to get destroyed. Maybe he didn't want to say it. Maybe his heart was, I don't know. But I know that he was saying the message that God had given to him. And it wasn't a good promise. It wasn't a promise that people never going to go, yes, Jesus loves me. This I know. That wasn't what he was telling them. It was a bad promise. But they believed that God's promises are true. They believe that everything that God says is going to happen. They believe that God will do what He says He will do. That's the first step to true repentance. You have to believe that what God says He will do, He's going to do. If God says He will forgive you, you have to believe that He will forgive you. If you don't believe that God will do what He says He's going to do, you can't repent. You just can't do it. In Nineveh, they had to believe that God was going to destroy them. God's going to destroy us. We're going to be done. We're going to be finished. And that's what verse 5 says, right? The men of Nineveh believed in God. Woo! These are people who've been the enemy of God for chapters upon chapters upon chapters of the Old Testament. They have been going against the people of God since the people of God became a, a thing. And here they were believing in God. True repentance requires you to believe that God's promises are true. But true repentance also will cause a change in action and in attitude. <sighs> Remember those kids when we tell them to say, I'm sorry, and they say, I'm sorry, and they walk away? That's not repentance. Repentance will change your actions. Repentance will change your attitude. You will be someone different. It says there that they put on sackcloth and fasting. Repentance isn't simply saying, I'm sorry. They were being affected on a deeper level. Repentance literally means to stop doing something, to turn away from it, and point yourself in a different direction. We cannot repent of the sins we commit while continuing to focus on the sins we commit. There was uh, 
a young pastor I knew once who focused a lot on what God had saved him out of and not much on what God was doing in his life now. And I watched as he became bondage. It became chained again to those same sins that he had struggled with and God had taken him from. Because when we put so much focus on the sin rather than the Savior, we find ourselves in the wrong spot. Repent means to turn away from, to do a 180. You know, not, not to do a 360, a 180. Too many times you want to say, well, I repented. I turned my life around. We're not playing the hokey pokey. We're going the other way. We're doing an about face. We're not simply turning ourselves around. True repentance causes a change in action and attitude. But you know, true repentance is the same no matter who you are. <laughs> the king, the nobles, and everyone else. Here's one sometimes that's hard for us folks in church to understand. Repentance isn't one thing for one group and something else for another. It doesn't matter if you're Sally the Saint in church on Sunday morning or Stephen the Stoner in the bar on Saturday night. Repentance means the same thing. My sin, just because I go to church, isn't any better than the sin of the person who doesn't go to church. Repentance looks the same for everybody. The king, the nobles, the peasants, even the livestock in Nineveh had to go through this process. Repentance is always the same. And everybody needs it. No matter your sin or how righteous you may view yourself, repentance will require the same thing. And sometimes it's harder for those of us who know God to repent than it is for that person outside the church. Because when we know God, we have to come to the point where we'll say, well, God, you know, I'm still not getting it right. <laughs> I've still messed up. True repentance is the same. He said, when word reached the king... He got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Woo! Can you imagine? Any of you like to be dirty? Just... The king sitting on his throne with all of his scrumptious royal food, dressed in purple and velvet and everything else. Got a bubble bath, jacuzzi tub. He hears the message from God and he believes the promises of God. And he gets up and he takes off his royal garments and he puts on sackcloth and he goes and he sits in the dirt. Because he knows that what is being said is true. Now I'm not saying that every time you feel bad or every time you sin that you need to go home and put on sackcloth and sit in the dirt. <laughs> but there is an attitude that comes with that. An attitude of humility. Knowing that my status and my stature 
cannot get me out of the steps I need to take to repent. Because true repentance is the same no matter who you are. But true repentance also affects your entire life. Verses 7 through 9, we have this, this decree issued by the king and his nobles that say, you're going to fast from food and water. It's hard to fast from food, but you can drink enough water to kind of kill the, the hunger. But if you're fasting from food and water and sitting in sackcloth, in the ashes, and even your animals are having to fast from food and water, that's changing everything. That's mind, that's body, that's soul, that's everything. There is this dangerous belief about repentance that it's about a single sin you have committed or been committed. But repentance isn't about a single sin. It's a life change. It's, it's getting to the root of the problem. There may be one sin that shows up constantly and continually, but that one sin is rooted in something. There's a deeper thing going on there. There's something else that God wants you to get to and turn away from. I, I, I've told you before about the young man who was going into college. This was 20 years ago. I can't imagine now. Who... Because he struggled with looking at things online he didn't need to be looking at, he got rid of his computer. And he did all of his work on a typewriter while all of his friends had Microsoft Word. What? <laughs> you have to get to the root. And allow God to take things out. And allow God to, to dig down. Allow God to pull those things out. It's, it's about running from a sinful life to a righteous Savior. Your entire life has to be affected. Repentance means that nothing looks the same as it used to look. That I can't look at those things that I used to think were okay with my, my new eyes and say, you know what? I, I, no, because suddenly they have become detestable to me. Suddenly I don't want to have any part of that anymore. Suddenly something has changed because true repentance will affect your entire life. But all of these things may sound hard, right? I mean, oh, Brother Troy, you're saying that I may have to give up my favorite TV show. You might. I may have to give up my favorite music. You might. That's hard. It is. It's worth it because true repentance can change the heart and action of God. That makes us uncomfortable sometimes because God has a plan and there's all this different levels of theology we can talk about. But what's clear from the scripture here is that God saw their actions and he relented. God changed his mind because of their repentance. There's two things about this, and I don't like it. It's a whole other sermon there. Okay. Um, true repentance can change the heart and mind of God. You have the power. You are special enough to God that you can change His mind if you'll repent. If you'll do what He's called you to do. That happens throughout Scripture. God will come and say, He says to Moses, Moses, I'm done. I'm tired of those people. I'm going to destroy them and start over with you. And Moses says, don't. Hold on. Abraham and Lot 
What if you find one guy in the city? God, fine, for one guy. Now, I'll save them, but the city's going to blow up. True repentance can change the heart and action of God. But the real key to all of this is that for a believer, repentance will be an ongoing process within our lives. We're going to constantly have to do it. We're supposed to stay humble because humility is one of the ways that we repent. It's the only way we can get to repentance. In our lives, we have to repent over and over and over again. Because we live in this world. And in this world, it's not perfect. In this world, the closer you get to Jesus, the more the enemy is going to attack. And the more the enemy attacks, the more temptation there is. It's this constant struggle. Paul talks about it over in Romans, right? He says, I do what I, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do, and you know, there's all that confusing talk there, but it's the truth because we have to walk this line, and we're going to have to over and over and over again repent of the things that we've done. That means that we stay humble. We continue to go to God in humility and say, God, turn me around, turn me around. You know, I think some of us, some of us stay busy because we keep doing this. Over and over and over again. And we spend a lot of time like this wondering why the blessings of God seem to just be falling off the other way. It takes every morning saying, God, fix the places in my life that aren't right. Guide me directly. Keep me open. Fill me as only you can. Maybe this morning, maybe you've been struggling. Maybe there has been something in your life that has been just, just nagging at you that you just can't seem to get past and it is keeping you from the intimacy with God that you want. Now's the time to say, okay, I want to let it go. I want to repent. I know that I've done wrong and I need I need God. Now's the time. Maybe this morning you want to pray. The altar is open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to share in missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning, maybe you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've never taken that step to, to come to know Him and say, man, I, I want to repent for the first time. Now's the time. You come and you say, brother, I want to know Jesus, so we'll go from there. But wherever you're at this morning, wherever you need, give it to Him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessing.